You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. During the 1960s, the Green Bay Packers won five world championships. The key to their dominance was defense, and the key to their defense was Ray Nitschke. When Ray Nitschke loomed over center, he displayed the frightening intensity of a man peering through the bars of a padded cell. He was a wild man on the field. He had a gleam in his eyes, and I used to get under the, under Tinglehoff and look over, and there was Nitschke with a gleam in his eyes that nobody else I'd ever played against ever had. It wasn't the Jekyll Hyde presence, it was just Hyde. Uh, it was just total absence of any concern or compassion for another human being. Oh yeah, man, I could watch that stuff all day long. Anything NFL films, especially pertaining to the Green Bay Packers, it just doesn't get any better than that. If I'm flipping through, you know, the cable and uh, and checking out, you know, what's on TV and, and I see anything NFL films, whether it's on the four-letter network or, or NFL network or whatever, um, it's it's definitely a remote drop because Steve Sable and his dad, Ed, just the way they tell the story of the NFL is unbelievable. But welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. Uh, you can check us out on Packernet.com. Find us on Twitter at Packers underscore access. And uh, the lineup for the uh, show today, guys, it's pretty easy to figure out, right? We're going to be talking about some linebackers. When you open the show with Ray Nitschke sound bites, you know it's going to be linebacker talking. The reason being is, you know, the past episodes, we've covered some of what we feel like are the top needs for the Green Bay Packers this year. And, uh, you know, the number one need being wide receiver and offensive line. Then moving on to safety in the last episode, we feel like safety is something that if you address it here in the offseason, not only can you pick up a safety of the future, but also potentially a starter with how bad Darnell Savage has struggled here lately. And then the fourth need, in my opinion, and it's a very close call here. A lot of people are saying we need a backup edge defender, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think uh, having a uh, an edge defender to step in and and kind of spell, you know, Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith could be a huge pickup. It all depends on how the board falls. You're, you're going to get tired of hearing me say that, but that's I'm a firm believer in stick to the board, stick to the board, draft the best player available that fits within your needs uh, without reaching too far. But outside of edge defender, I personally believe that a bigger need is linebacker, and and much so for the reason, the same reason that safety is a need. You know, when I talk about potentially picking up a player that could step into a starting role because a current player that's in the starting lineup is struggling. Um, I believe linebacker is the same same way. I, I was a big Chris Barnes fan a couple of years ago, 
Um, you know, he's uh, he's kind of become the number two inside linebacker, and we play a lot of nickels, so he's on the field a lot, um, you know, a lot, the large majority of the time he's out there beside Devondre Campbell. And uh, I was a big defender of Chris Barnes. I felt like Chris Barnes was going to be a great player. I thought he showed flashes. Uh, he He's one of those guys that he, he can make big tackles. He can kind of come into the pitcher out of the last, you know, at the last second and just clean up a play and you go, wow, who was that? Oh, wow, it was Chris Barnes. Like, he's got closing speed. He's got all the tools, but he just he doesn't play sound football. And when you look at the PFF grade, that's exactly what it says. You know, in 2020, his PFF grade was a 43. Um, that was that was 71st out of 83 linebackers, guys. And then last year, it was a 52.7. You know, almost a 10-point jump there. He did improve, but still a 52.7. He was the 52nd. Um, highest graded uh, linebacker in the entire NFL. And that's just not going to cut it, man. Not When you talk about how good this defense has been, especially from the defensive back standpoint, you know, with Stokes stepping up last year and Rasul Douglas coming on the scene and just being a pleasant surprise. And then you got a healthy Jair Alexander now. Um, you know, they defensive backs are solid. Uh, Adrian Amos has played great at the, uh, at the safety position. Um, but when you look at the linebacker position, it's like when you're in that nickel formation, when you're in that nickel set and, you know, a, a team's really trying to stretch the field and, and, and manipulate uh, what a defense can do as far as run pass and, and all that and with the RPOs, you, you really need that second inside linebacker to be a solid player and not just have physical ability but someone who's going to compete. I feel like if – if that second inside linebacker can perform at a 60 or above, that's a significant difference from a 52.7 that Chris Barnes put up. So we're going to talk about linebackers in the draft uh, this uh, this episode. We're going to kind of dive in and say, okay, um, you know, who were the linebackers that performed the best from the last two draft class? Right, we're gonna we're gonna look at the draft class from last year. Okay, what linebackers really stood out as far as PFF is concerned? Then we're gonna go back one more year to 2020, see the same thing with that draft class, and then we're gonna look at just the overall grades of linebackers in the entire NFL last year and kind of see where these these guys that have been in the league a little bit longer and performed at a very high level, um, where they were drafted at, to kind of give us a gauge on where can you find good linebacker talent in the draft based off of history. So from there, we're going to welcome in Jacob from Packernet Podcast to talk about a few linebacker prospects in this year's draft that kind of stand out to him, uh, much like we did with the offensive line, and see if there might be some late-round gems there or maybe who who might be uh, you know a linebacker that could go a little bit earlier than we might expect. So uh, as you may have already figured out, you know we like to kick off the episode with the first segment being our Packers history segment, and it's going to be uh, you know based around the linebacker position and and really it came down to two linebackers, guys. I I, I want to give an honorable mention to Dave Robinson. You know, Dave Robinson was a great linebacker for the Lombardi Packers. Actually, just recently got inducted into the uh, fame, right? And rightfully so. The guy was just a a force. Uh, in that Lombardi defense. Um, but when it comes to linebackers, there's one guy uh, in Packer history that just he just kind of towers over the rest of the uh, traditional linebackers. We're not talking about edge defenders, um, although if you were including them, this guy's going to be at the top of the list too, probably uh, not necessarily for rushing the quarterback, but just the impact he had at the linebacker position probably overshadows any of the, uh, you know, the 34 outside linebackers that are basically edge rushers, and that's Ray Nitschke. 
And uh, then we're going to wrap up the show with a little bit of news. We're going to take a quick glance at the newswire and make sure that we're not missing anything there. That way you guys get the latest uh, in NFL news and Packers news. If something were to break at the last second, you'll get it right here at the end of the show. So just so you guys know, moving forward, that's going to kind of be the format for the show. And it took a little bit to find our groove, but I think this is a, a really a, a good way to do the show. We're going to always um, kind of lay out what we're going to do for the show. We're going to kick off with a history segment that's kind of more around the topic of the day we're going to get into the topic and then as we wrap the show up we're going to hit you with some uh some late breaking news if anything has come across the wire we may wrap up the show and nothing hit that's great but we want to keep you informed as it comes in in real time here with the afternoon show so before we get into our packers uh history segment and look back at the uh the life and the playing days of ray nitschke let's take us a quick commercial break in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, guys, let's jump right into the Packers history segment, and that's the one, the only, the legendary Ray Nitschke, middle linebacker for Lombardi's Packers. Um, When I was going to go through and kind of make a list of the top linebackers in the history of the Green Bay Packers, there was really no one, in my opinion, that came close to Ray Nitschke. You're talking about a guy who was an absolute, absolute force on the field, someone that he instilled fear into his opponents. Someone who could who could play the pass, but especially pl- uh, play the run. Right, a guy that his teammates talked about. You're talking about Hall of Fame teammates, 
like Jerry Kramer and Forrest Gregg. There was an awesome soundbite of Forrest Gregg talking about how when you went up against Nitschke in practice, <clears throat> you really had to protect yourself because he would hit you with that forearm. He also talked about how, you know, Paul Horning and Bart Starr were kind of the, the golden boys of the offense. You know, you really want to protect those guys. They knew not to get anywhere near Ray Nitschke on the practice field because he would lay them out. That was just the kind of guy he was on the field, just a just a monster on the gridiron, right? But just a little history about Ray Nitschke. We're going to go into his personal life a little bit and tell you what molded the man. You know, you see all these great athletes. You see all the legends, and you, and you hear about the Dick Buckuses, and you hear about, you know, the, the Jerry Rices and the Joe Montanas and, and, you know, Troy Aikman. You probably threw up in your mouth a little bit right there, right? But, hey, I'm a big, I'm a big Troy fan personally. I just love good football. I love people who played the game the right way and who really worked their tails off to get to where it was they wanted to be. I don't care what uniform they wore. Yeah, I root against them on Sunday if they're playing my green and gold. But outside of that, man, it's nothing but respect for these guys. But when you get into talking about the man that Ray Nitschke was, you know, it's it's easy to understand how he ended up the way he did when you just dive a little bit into his background. And, you know, at four years old, Ray Nitschke's dad actually died in a car accident. So he had no father from the age of four. I'm sure he didn't even remember anything before the age of four. So he had no, no memory of a father whatsoever. Then at the age of 13, guys, imagine what you were doing at the age of 13. Imagine, you know, little things you were having to deal with in school with if you were in a public school system like I was or or what have you you know think of the little you know you didn't really have to deal with much most likely right this guy's mother died when he was 13 years old he's getting ready to go into high school his dad was dead at the age of four his mom died when he was 13 going into high school she actually had a blood clot so the the cards the deck was really just stacked against Ray <clears throat> and when he was young you know you can imagine he was angry like you you know as a young man he's he's got to be thinking you know what did I do to deserve this right what why why was I dealt this hand so he was an angry young man and and his words not mine he said that he found on the football field that he could he he found a place where he could release that aggression release that anger that he had and do it in a legal way you know so that's kind of what molded him into the the quote-unquote angry or aggressive player that he was. You know, uh, one of the best stories that, that I love love talking about, and <clears throat> it was the way that I heard the story that meant the most to me. We were on a tour of Lambeau Field, and the tour guide told a story about Ray Nitschke. And he talked about that during one of Lombardi's practices, you know, they had the old TV towers where they had these large towers where they would put a camera up top. They could take pictures and video and what have you, video the practice. No different than today, kind of the all 22, but I'm sure back then it wasn't near as advanced, obviously, <clears throat> there in the 60s. But they had this TV tower, and a windstorm blow, blows through, and the TV tower ends up collapsing. It, it topples over, falls over, right? <clears throat> and Lombardi, you know, they look back, and there's this ruckus. There's a bunch of people rushing this tower because somebody's underneath it. And the legend goes, and this tour guide done a great job of telling the story. It's also on NFL Films as well. There's actually a video you can find. It's very rare, but Ray, Ray Nitschke tells the story himself. But they said that, as everybody's rushing over to this tower to see who's underneath it and try to help them, Lombardi asks, hey, who is it? Who is it? And they say, it's Ray. It's, you know, it's Nitschke. And they said Lombardi literally shrugged it off and said, oh, he's fine. Come on, get, keep practicing. Like he knew that, that, that Ray was, 
tough enough that even a huge, I don't know if it was metal, steel, what have you, collapsed on him, he's still fine. But what's really cool, <clears throat> if you guys get to go, and excuse my voice, I'm a little under the weather today. Hopefully it's not too annoying. But if you ever get a chance to go to the Packers Hall of Fame there at Lambeau Field, really take a second and try to find this piece of memorabilia because there's actually a helmet the practice helmet that Nitschke was wearing the day that that tower collapsed, they still have it. And it's all scuffed up and scarred. Guys, there is a, a hole in the, uh, you like how I said that, right? You're probably making fun of the accent again. Um, I don't pronounce L's after a vowel if you haven't caught on yet, but I'm going to try to say it properly. A hole, okay, in the helmet that Nitschke was wearing that you could fit your pinky into where one of the steel dowels from the tower actually stabbed through the helmet that he was wearing and the dude survived it like it's just that's the type of person he was so i thought that was a really cool story like i said you go to the packers hall of fame make sure you look for that helmet it is awesome so as far as the playing days like i said meaner than a snake right on the field the guy won five nfl championships he's an nfl hall of famer and the Packers retired his jersey number 66 no other green bay packer will ever wear the number 66 it's uh it's frozen in time and ray nitschke is uh you know immortalized as as one of the greats of of all time now you know as far as his personal life <clears throat> his wife um he said his wife jackie was the calming influence in his life that kind of kept him focused on his career right he he met that that one lady that was kind of was able to uh i don't know lasso him i guess you could say right and, and keep him calm and and keep him focused on being a great football player and how to do business off the field you know he ended up buying a car dealership there in the green bay area but uh in the, his 1973 autobiography by the way it's it's on my bookshelf if you guys have never read it go pick it up it's called mean on sunday and it's titled perfectly because you got a guy that was so ferocious on the field but off the field he was someone who wanted to make the difference in in the lives of other people right and it tells really the story of the man beneath the mayhem that uh that he caused on the field um you know a medical condition unfortunately prevented um jackie from having children right so what they did was they adopted three of their own and took them in because they wanted to give them the childhood that ray never had that's the type of person he was you know they said nitschke was so popular um and he remained in green bay and he was still so popular and he actually still to the day he died from what i understand or to the day that he moved away from Green Bay, he actually had his name, his number, and his address in the Green Bay phone book. So he was never a person, you know, in, in a time now where where guys are so, you know, athletes are so cautious and they, you know, they don't they don't want to give a second of their time without getting paid for it and compensated. I'm not knocking that, but I just think it says a lot about a man that back then in a different time in the NFL, a more simpler time, right? Where he actually had his phone number and his address published publicly where anybody could have access to it. They said that was just the kind of the kind of guy he was though. Very active in the community and uh, and everyone loved him. So, that's your Packers history um for the uh for the show uh, i thought that would be the best way to jump into the linebacker topic and covering an absolute legend in ray nitschke and a guy that just uh you know john madden said it best and i know he stole the quote from someone else and he actually gave him gave him credit for it but he said the criteria of greatness is can you tell the story of your profession with uh, without mentioning someone's name 
And for me, you cannot tell the story of the Green Bay Packers without mentioning Ray Nitschke's name. Ray Nitschke is a, a one-of-a-kind player. Uh, you know, he made the all the 50th year anniversary NFL team, right? And he made the 75th anniversary team. Basically saying that he was one of, if not the best linebacker to ever put on a helmet, to ever play in the National Football League. And uh, if I'm ever on camera, if you guys watch on YouTube or or when we do a live show or what have you here in the future, you may see a little white dog <laughs> pop up on camera on my on my side. That's my little buddy Nitschke. I named him. Uh, it's funny on his papers. You look at you, you when you look at his 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 vet papers. It actually says Raymond Nitschke, right? I had another lab that unfortunately passed away a few years ago. His name was Earl Lambo, right? We called him Lambo or Bobo, right? So that's just something we do. We name dogs around here after former Packers. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a tradition. But, anyway, that's your Packers history segment. Thanks for tuning into that. Now we're going to jump into some uh, some other good stuff. We're going to break down the linebackers and pass drafts and then have a quick conversation with Jacob and, uh, and kind of get you some info on some linebackers you might want to watch for in this year's draft if, indeed, the Green Bay Packers do decide to pull the trigger and draft a linebacker this year. All right, first things first, we're going to dive into the 2021 NFL Draft at the linebacker position and kind of give you an idea of, uh, of where these guys were taken and how they performed this year. Coming in number one, <clears throat> no surprise at all, and that's Dallas Cowboys linebacker Micah Parsons. He graded out as an 89.7 PFF grade, and he was drafted in the first round pick number 12. When he was taken, uh, I, I had a great feeling about Micah Parsons. I know last year I wasn't a part of the Packernet podcast, uh, you know, uh, team, I guess you could say. Um, but I remember having Micah Parsons in my very top tier. And I remember several people saying, oh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I live two towns over from him. He's a hor- horrible human being. He doesn't have the work ethic. He's not going to pan out. He's going to be a bust. All this stuff that I was hearing. I have several, several friends who live up in his area. And, um, I just remember thinking everything about the tape, and that's where I put the most uh, the most weight in, the most value in, is the tape. I don't care what you run in a 40-yard. To me, the 40-yard dash and all the combine stuff is kind of confirmation of what you've seen on tape, right? But if it comes down to it, and I see a guy that's showing extreme athleticism on tape, right, and then they have a bad combine, I'm not going to just throw the tape out the window. The tape carries more weight for me than anything because that's what they do on the field. That's how they perform um, when they're facing competition. Uh, something else I don't buy into, and I don't mean to go on a rant here, but people are talking about age. They're talking about, oh, well, he's 23 years old and this guy's 21. Who cares? Who ca- Are you already thinking eight years down the road? Like, that I just I never understood that argument or that standpoint on a prospect. Like as if what's going to determine whether we draft this guy is the fact that he's going to reach thirty two years before or two yeah two years before the other guy. Like it, so you're telling me when when someone says that the way that I like to question them is I like to say okay so you're telling me if you've got an elite talent <clears throat> who's twenty four years old and you have a good talent at 21. You're taking the good talent over the elite? Oh, you're not? Okay, then stop pretending like age matters that much in the draft. That's just me personally. I don't know. I just, it's amazing how age matters in the draft, 
but yet we talk about rookie players being young and needing to mature. I just don't understand that. I really, really don't. But anyway, I digress. Micah Parsons, first round, 12th overall pick, absolute stud. I had him in my top tier last year. Um, did I think he was going to rush the passer this way? Absolutely not. Completely blew me away rushing the passer. I know that coming out of high school, he was an edge rusher um, or at least could play that position, but I really didn't expect him to stand out that much um, at, at the NFL level, especially his rookie year. So moving on to number two, Pete Werner um, graded out as a 79.9 for the New Orleans Saints. He was drafted in the second round, pick number 60. At number three, you've got the Cleveland Browns linebacker, Jeremiah Koromoa out of Notre Dame. Um, he was the he was drafted in the second round, pick number fifty-two. Again, graded out as a seventy-six point zero. Another solid rookie season by a linebacker there. At number four, you've got Nick Bolton. He graded out as a seventy-two point five. He was also drafted in the second round, pick number fifty-eight. Um, let me just slide down and show you. Another linebacker that was taken in the first round, like Micah Parsons, actually fairly close, only seven picks later, was Jamin Davis uh, for the Washington Commanders. Guys, he graded out as a 46.8, and they used the 19th overall pick on him. That's what I'm talking about when when you say it's like people pretend like first-round picks are just going to be slam dunks. It's not always the case. In most cases, it seems to me that in the second and third round, these players have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. And it's kind of the same dynamic that we've talked about in past podcasts where, um, you know, you you draft a, a Jordan Love. It's I don't think it's a coincidence that Aaron Rodgers comes out the very next year and just performs, just, I mean, plays out of this universe, right? Because he has motivation behind. Oh, you're going to draft a quarterback? Okay, so you're already looking to replace me? I'll show you. It's the same thing with every position. When you create that competitive environment, you're going to get the best out of players. It's just the way it works. And I think that a lot of these draft picks that are taken in the second and third round, they've got that chip on their shoulder. You know, you've got people like Pete Werner and uh, and Koromoa and Nick Bolton that were looking up going, you know what, they took Jamin Davis over me. That dude didn't do anything at Kentucky. Like, why, why does he deserve to be drafted over me? I'll show them. And boom, there you go. All those guys performing in the 70s or above, obviously Michael Parsons, 89.7 elite PFF grade. So let's move on to 2020. I love this addition to the show. In 2020, in the 2020 NFL draft, right, here are the linebackers that graded the highest last year for the 2021 NFL season, okay? There's not even one in the 70s, guys. The best graded, highest graded was Willie Gay Jr., from the Kansas City Chiefs. He graded out a 66.5. He was drafted in the second round, pick number 63. So 2020's NFL draft, <clears throat> absolute bus when it comes to linebackers. I mean, according to PFF, <clears throat> Chris Barnes sits fourth on this list. That kind of makes me feel a little bit better about his 52.7, right? <laughs> but um, when you look at the first-round picks in the 2020 draft that were linebackers, the number eight overall pick, Isaiah Simmons, right? He was touted as another guy that they were like, wow, this guy is just a specimen when it comes to the measurables, when it comes to the combine and 
agility grade and explosion and all these things that everybody's going to waste a ton of time putting into draft boards and trying to crack the code. More information is better than less, okay? I'm just, you know, I, I completely agree with that. But to pretend like because a guy gets out there in spandex underwear and runs around like a demon on the field, right, is all of a sudden going to be a football player and just play at an elite level is just silly. Isaiah Simmons, the eighth overall pick, graded out as a 49.7. Let me go one one more here. Actually, two more. Patrick Queen of the Baltimore Ravens. You remember when Patrick Queen was drafted? Everybody was talking about that was the guy that Green Bay needed. That's the guy that Green Bay – it's amazing how everyone who was saying that Green Bay screwed up that draft pick by not – you know, trading up or down to get Patrick Queen at the linebacker position, you don't hear from him much anymore, do you? Because he graded out of the 43.6. That was the 28th overall pick in the 2020 draft. And one more, Kenneth Murray for the L.A. Chargers graded out at a 34.0. And he was drafted in the first round, pick 23. So, quick recap of 2020. Nobody in the at the linebacker position graded in the 70s. And uh, there was one, two, three, four, looks like, yeah, four linebackers taken in the first round that as of right now, according to PFF, have been complete busts. So you've got to be real careful when you're drafting linebackers that early in the draft. Again, I don't think it's a coincidence that last year there was only one linebacker taken in the first round. It was obvious that Micah Parsons was going to be an elite talent. You could see it at every level of, of, of any information you had on him, right? Pleasant surprise with the pass rushing. But then the next four highest-graded linebackers were all taken in the second round. I think there's something to be said there. Um, Again, when I looked at this information, there's a reason I've been saying, man, I would be kind of happy if the Green Bay Packers traded back into the second, got multiple picks in the second round. Get multiple swings, your success rate's going to go up. If you put all your eggs in one basket and try to go for one player, one one of two things can happen that would be absolutely horrible. You take all that draft capital, bundle it up, and get one player. If they're a bust, that would be horrible, right? And also injury concerns. You're one injury away. As where if you take multiple swings in the second round, no matter what position you you decide, you know, yourself, what the top needs are or where they should spend their draft capital, um, you take multiple swings, you've got less of a chance of a bust or less of a chance of coming away from the draft empty-handed, I should say, and you're paying less for the player as far as salary cap hit, and you're getting multiple opportunities to draft those players. And we know Goody's done great in the first and second round. I don't know. I just get excited about thinking about multiple uh, picks there in the second round. All right, now real quick, we're going to look at the the highest-graded linebackers from the 2021 NFL season and where they were drafted overall. So we've, we've kind of covered you know the last two, the last three drafts, right? A nice little saturation of what's happened here more, more recently. Now I just want to look at the linebackers and how well they've performed and where they were drafted overall in the entire NFL. At number one was Micah Parsons. Um, we already talked about him. We're not going to cover that too much more. It's just unbelievable that a guy gets drafted there uh, last year and he's already – the highest graded linebacker in the entire NFL. Now at number two is our very own own Devondre Campbell for the Green Bay Packers. He graded out as an 85.0 overall grade for PFF. Obviously he was drafted in the 2016 NFL draft round four 
pick 115 and it's pretty cool that we've got him under contract for uh you know i think what is it five years now and as we as we all know how the contracts have unfolded this year with the new negotiations and everything across the league this is most likely a two to three year deal so drafting a linebacker this year in one of the later rounds i don't think is out of the realm of possibility because chris barnes up to this point has not panned out He's obviously going to be a free agent coming into this year. You don't want to overpay for a guy who's underperformed. That's just bad business. And now we'll look at maybe drafting a linebacker that could potentially crack that starting role in a nickel defense, but also maybe be the linebacker of the future. And with the way the draft has kind of unfolded and what we've seen in this two, three-year saturation, um, you can find these linebackers a little later in the draft, and Devondre Campbell's another example. Alexander Johnson comes in at number three for the Denver Broncos. He graded out as an 81.0, and he's actually an undrafted player. Um, would have been in the 2018 draft, went undrafted, played for Denver last year, played lights out. Uh, number four is Fred Warner. We all know got a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of uh, PR, you know, there in San Francisco. Always labeled as one of the top three, top five linebackers in the entire NFL. He graded out an 80.1. He was drafted in the 2018 NFL draft, round three, pick 70. At number five, we got Pete Werner from the New Orleans Saints, 79.9. Again, second round, 60th overall pick. So the top five linebackers in the entire NFL last year, according to PFF and their grades, they were drafted in round one, pick 12, round four, pick 115, undrafted, round three, pick 70, round two, pick 60. And, and, you know, as you go down this list, guys, you start to see – you know, Anthony Barr was listed as a linebacker. I'm not real familiar with Minnesota's defense and how much they rush him, how much he drops into coverage. Seeing that he's he's on the linebacker list, I imagine he played traditional linebacker in that defense. But Anthony Barr was in round one, pick nine. He graded out as a 63.0, okay? Another round one pick that was a bust. Leighton Vander Esch. I don't know if you could call him a bust. It's just here most recently. They haven't performed well. I don't know how much injuries come into play here, too. I don't have the the, the amount of snaps pulled up. I'm just kind of going, you know, from a bird's eye view of the PFF grade. Leighton Vander Esch for the Dallas Cowboys, 60.8. He was a first-round pick, number 19 overall. Another one that was very, very low graded was Jordan Brooks uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. He was drafted in the first round, pick 27. His grade was a 58.4. So just to kind of recap the linebacker position, it's showing that later rounds produce better linebackers. Every now and again, you'll get a Micah Parsons there in the first round. You'll hit a home run. But now we're going to get into our conversation here with Jacob. He's going to break down some of the linebackers. I'm really looking forward to this. Jacob's becoming one of my buddies, man. We we tend to be we seem to be kind of cut from the same cloth, and he's just a football geek like me. We could talk all day and all night about some of these prospects. All right, guys. Now we'd like to welcome into the show from Packernet Podcast, Jacob. What's going on today, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm good. Uh, as you know, we've. We've been dealing with some behind the scenes issues, but we're good, man. We're ready to go. <laughs> uh, it's funny, man. I, I highlighted Ray Nitschke earlier in this episode, and uh, here I was getting angry like Ray Nitschke. <laughs> this audio to take, but hey, that's part of the part of the job, right? So, um, yeah. So we're going to kind of dive into some linebacker talk uh, here with Jacob. And uh, Jacob, you know, like I was telling you off the air, you know, we uh, we kind of looked at some of the the draft positioning with linebackers in the last three years, and and then 
looked at the overall grades from linebackers last year. And it's funny, man, you, you look at them and, and the only one outside of, you know, you got Micah Parsons that was obviously a first round pick that was the, the top graded linebacker last year in the NFL, according to PFF. Outside of that, dude, it's everybody from the fourth round to undrafted to the third round, back around to the second round. So what we thought we would do is kind of look at some linebackers that that you, uh, you know, have got your eye on outside of the first round that you think uh, might make a uh, make a big difference here moving forward in the NFL, or at least be be a great draft pick as far as value and where they may be taken outside of the first round. So as we dive into this list, let's start right off with our, our very own Wisconsin linebacker, Leo Chanel. Uh, what do you think about Chanel? What, what, what kind of grabs your attention about him? Yeah, well, you know, I got to start with a Wisconsin guy. So uh, first <laughs> off, he's a massive person. He's 6'2", 250. He's got an RAS of 9.99. So, I mean, you can't get much more of an athletic freak than he is. Uh, he's a junior. He's only 21.5 years old. I say only because this, I've noticed, I don't know if you, you noticed, but most of these linebackers, they're kind of an older class. Uh, mm -hmm. I think a lot of these guys are 22 at least. I think the youngest guy was that Brandon Smith, somewhere around like 20.7 years of, of age or something like that. But anyway, so what, again, what I was talking about last week is I like guys that show progression. And so from 2019, bust on the scene, he only plays 145 snaps, but he's a 72.4 grade, which, you know, decent. Uh, 2020 jumps up to an 82.2 and then 2021 he's a 91.5 that's third out of 815 linebackers and it's uh it's funny that you mentioned Micah Parsons because uh he had Chanel had a 94.1 run defense grade which uh is second I believe to only Micah Parsons which had a 94.8 which is the PFF college record oh wow yeah, Chanel is, is kind of described as that old school, hard nosed downhill blitzing linebacker. He's got a exceptional speed and agility. Um, he's just kind of the old school, big bodied guy that can just move sideline. Well, he, he's more of a gap filler, I think. And his biggest knock is that his coverage grade is a 56.7. His pass rush grade is a 91.8. Run defense grade, like we said, is a 94.1. That coverage grade is probably what's going to make people not really trust him maybe he won't be a second round pick maybe he drops into the third or the fourth but i mean if you draft him as kind of just a run you know stuffing machine i think that's what you're going to get from him uh most scouts say that he's basically the best linebacker at taking on blocks in the country they say that offensive linemen just basically go backwards once he makes the contact he's got crazy size he holds that 250 plus pounds easily He's light on his feet. He's got good lateral, you know, movement for a bigger guy like that. Um, again, the only thing they're trying to knock on him is that he's he's a limited guy in coverage. But if you were to draft him as a Packers, you know, a guy that maybe fills the the role of Barnes, we've got Devondre, who's great at coverage, you know. So maybe we get a guy like this that can go in there on first and second down and just thump people. They uh, PFF kind of compares him to Bart Scott. If we got a Bart Scott, I don't know if you remember Bart Scott, but oh yeah, yeah, that dude was a beast. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I think that kind of fits into to the need we talked about. You know, with with Chris Barnes's grade being so low last year, according to PFF, we're looking for a guy that we could get outside of the first round um, to kind of fill that need. That okay, yeah, it's going to add depth, so we don't have to see Summers back on the field ever again in our life, right? <laughs> I, I love uh -oh. Ty Summers. I'm such a sucker because I he's one of the only guys that ever responded to my Instagram posts. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like, like that, right? <laughs> yeah, I wanted him to be good so bad. I did too, man. And, and you know, when they when they drafted him, I kind of bought into the hop as, as well. But 
my goodness. He's a TCU guy, right? His lines, yeah. Right. He just he has not not panned out very well. But when you talk about Leo Chanel, as far as the consistency board, we him sitting at the 64 spot and he peaked at 48. Okay. So that's obviously there within that second, second to third round range, in my opinion. Um, on my horizontal board, I actually have Chanel sitting in the sixth tier. And the only reason he's so low is exactly what you talked about in his weakness. Um, but he's uh, he's coming in right there with uh, with Mumba, and um, yeah, I could see him, you know, being a good second round pick. You know, I mean, in, anywhere there in the in the fifty range, I think would be about right in my opinion. So he did, like I said, peak at forty eight on the consensus big board. He's currently sitting at sixty four, but I personally would put Chanel somewhere around that fifty one range. So we're kind of on the same page there with with uh, with that guy for sure. So uh, yeah, moving on to the next one, we've got. Um, Let's see here. Let me get back to my list. We've got Channing um, Tyndall, right? What, what? Yeah, or Tyndall or Tyndall. Yeah. How do you feel about him? Honestly, I so in this spot, I originally had Chad Muma, and I I loved all of you know his measurables and all that kind of stuff. But I just when I put on the tape, I just didn't like him. You know, I'm not a scout. I I'm not you know I'm not an expert or anything like that. I just when I put on the tape, I just was very unimpressed. So. I switched and ended up wanting to go with Channing Tindall, and he's a little bit of a raw prospect as well. He's 6'2", 230. He's got an RES of 9.65. So, again, he's athletic. He's a mm-hmm. senior. He's 22.0 years old. He's uh, got a 4.4740, so he's got some quickness. Had a pass, pass rush grade of 81.5, a run defense grade of 73.7. The coverage grade was 81.9. So he's good, decent all around. Um, the biggest knock on him is – Although he was a four-star recruit and a highly rated uh, prospect from ESPN, he did not get on the field basically at all until his senior year. And even on his senior year, he was only on there for, I think, right around like 470 snaps or something like that. But in 2019, 2020, he had under 60 snaps, 2019, under 75 in 2020. So for whatever reason, he just could not get on the field. I mean, Georgia obviously is filled with freaks and... So, I mean, that, that part, yeah, that part maybe is, is a little bit understandable. Um, so he didn't really have impressive stats. He didn't have impressive playing time. What is impressive about him is the speed and the pursuit and the ability to cover sideline to sideline. Um, some pros on him, they say he's an elite speed for a linebacker, not going to get beat from sideline to sideline. Like I said, he comes in with bad intentions as a tackler. He runs through ball carriers. He's a violent blitzer. He loves taking on running back blocks, but they say he's kind of has a wild play style. Um, and again, he was never a starter. He really barely even got decent snaps his senior year. I think he had only around 500 or so. Um, he's got a smaller, slimmer, flame, slimmer frame, so it's going to be a little bit harder to take on blocks, you know, from linemen and different things like that going into the NFL level. But um, he's got the raw skills, and I think if he had some good coaching, he could maybe, you know, take a, a, a big step forward. They've got him listed probably in a fourth round PFF says he maybe could go as a third, but I, I'm kind of just, I don't quite know about this guy. I think he's just a bundle of raw talent and we'll see. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And I've actually got him sitting in my tier nine on the board, which actually puts him in the number 70 spot. So, uh, you know, just out of that, that second round there, um, you know, early third round talents, kind of what my horizontal board hasn't listed at. And then on the consensus big board, they have him at number 92. He peaked at 76. So I've even got him higher than um, than he peaked at 
as far as the consensus big board. So it's going to be cool to see where he lands. You're probably going to see somewhere in that range between 70 and, like I said, 90, 95 um, would probably be good value for uh, for Channing there out of Georgia. And like you said, you know, him playing for such a prominent program, it's easy to say, well, he couldn't even crack the starting lineup much. Uh, but you also got to take into consideration that, you know, Georgia is recruiting the best of the best. I mean, they are as much as I love to hate on the SEC being right down here in the middle of it. We had a good conversation about that yesterday with the podcast guys. But, uh, you know, I mean, the fact that you're on the roster with such a stat defense and him fighting for a spot, I think it, it says a lot. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier in the show today, Jacob, is, you know, when you look at players that had to kind of scrap for it, they tend to outperform the guys who were just handed it in the first round outside of Michael Parsons. You know, you you look at Simmons in Arizona and some of these other big name linebackers that came out and everybody was talking about how athletic, how athletic they are and how young they are and this and that. And then the PFF grade suggests they were bust in the first round. So I think it makes a lot of sense to go a little later. And, and it's it's obvious that that Tyndall is uh, is kind of falling into that same that same mold there in Georgia. So moving on to the next guy, we've got Troy Anderson. Tell me a little bit about Troy Anderson. Yeah. So this guy, yeah. he's my, he's my draft crush. This is the guy <laughs> that uh, I really had no idea. I sent you, I was sending clay messages last night at like 11 o'clock being like, check this dude out, watch his highlights, please watch his highlights. Like pretty sure you just wanted to go to bed and say, shut up, dude. But anyways, no, uh, no. <laughs> Troy Anderson out of Montana state, he's six, four, two forty three, maybe even a little heavier. He's got an RAS of 10, 10 out of 10. I mean, wow. he's an absolute freak. He's a senior. He's 22.11 years old. He ran a 442 at 6'4, 240, 243, like I said, maybe even a little bit heavier. Um, and that 442 time, I if you watch this guy on film, I swear to God, he's faster than that. And I'll show you a reason in just a minute here. But um, he's a converted running back and who went and played linebacker, then switched to quarterback and then back to linebacker. And as a linebacker in his last season here, he racked up 67 stops. Um, his season grades, like I said, so he he comes in out of high school. He's a 4.0 grade point average guy. He's the valedictorian of his class. So he, you know, the dude's smart. He's he's football smart, off the field smart. He's recruited to Montana State as a running back, and he shows promise as I think he's the third largest rusher in his freshman year as he's also playing some rough linebacker and practice and that kind of stuff. He ends up winning 2017 Big Sky Freshman of the Year. And then in 2018, the guy decides, I'm, I'm a quarterback now. So he switches to quarterback and he rushes for like 1,200 yards. He passes for three touchdowns, but he ran for 21 touchdowns. And I swear to God, Clay, if you put on the, the, the film of this guy running these touchdowns, I think 15 of them are over 50 yards. And he just absolutely, once he makes a break, he makes a quick cut and he is so powerful and his like level of balance. He just, no leg tackles. This guy does not get taken down by leg tackles. If you don't form tackle him and wrap up, he's gone. And when I say that he ran more than a 4-4-2, there's a clip where he, I can't remember who they're playing, but he's playing like weak side linebacker and they throw a strong side uh, screen and he's got two lead blockers and apparently whoever this wide receiver was, he's like the fastest guy on the team. They say the announcers are literally saying, Oh, we've got the guy with the fastest, the fastest guy on the field is has the ball. And he has a wide open, just breakaway down the field. And you can see out of nowhere, uh, Anderson comes running and he closes the gap so fast that if this dude's the fastest guy on the field, I don't know how he closed that gap so fast. And one of the, the lead blockers ends up getting a chip on him. So he doesn't get to make the play, but you just see him knife out of nowhere. And it's unbelievable. His closing speed. So anyways, 
he wins first team all big sky honors as the quarterback so then after 2019 he decides well if i want to be a pro i'm not going to really be a running quarterback that can't really pass that well so he decides he's going to be a linebacker again and that first season he does that he gets a 76.9 which is you know pretty good grade for his first full starter year uh 2020 seasons canceled from the covid rona but then in 2021 he comes back he's got 17 coverage stops which is 26 he's got 49 run stops which is fourth in the nation uh, he's got a completion percentage against him of only 57.1 he only allowed one touchdown he had two interceptions he had five forced incompletions uh they only had a 65.2 passing rater against him so a uh, passing rating the guy, I, if you watch him on film as a linebacker, again, you see all that crazy speed, all the crazy, just, he's just a football player. He reminds me, of, he even punted for Montana State. I mean, the guy is just a freak. He reminds me of a Taysom Hill, but better, and he can play multiple positions. So I just, I love the guy. He had a pass rush grade of 73 this last year, a run defense grade of 80.5, and a coverage grade of 86.4. So I just, I, I don't know why, but the dude just really intrigues me. He had the overall grade of 86.3 in 2021, playing 860 snaps. I just, like I said, the dude just, he, uh, he really impressed me. That's awesome, dude. And, and the consensus big board has him sitting at the number 80 spot. He peaked at 55. On my horizontal board, I have Troy Anderson sitting at number 57. So uh, just a couple of spots lower than where he actually peaked, I think is is closer to his true draft talent. And uh, obviously that would be, you know, if, if the Packers were going to take him um, and get good value for him, I would say that number 59 pick might make the most sense. It's yeah. all come down to do we trade up or down in that first round on whether they do take a swing on linebacker. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, man. Anderson, I actually have him above uh, Tyndall. So, um, yeah, significantly, too. He's in my tier seven. As, as it sits right now. So, uh, yeah, you about okay. sold me on this guy. I'm going to go back and check some highlights because that sounds really, really uh, impressive. And, you know, some it, it, it amazes me, like, people put a lot of stock into age, and I kind of ran on about that earlier in this episode, that I don't put as much stock into age. And they also put a lot of stock into, quote, unquote, big schools. I mean, you look at the people like, like Jerry Rice that, you know, turned out to be the goat that went to a small, mm -hmm. you know, and you talk about Montana state. Yeah. I completely agree. You want to compare apples to apples as far as the level of competition, these players, you know, play against, but at the same time, you know, talent is talent and, and it really flashes on, on film. And I could tell, you know, just, just the sound of your voice that this guy really jumps off the screen. And I put way more, way more stock into the tape than I do, you know, the measurables. And it sounds like he's got everything. So I, I'm really, really interested in seeing where he goes for sure. And, uh, and you know, if, if he were to drop, let's say, you know, he did drop to somewhere around that 80 mark, um, who knows, maybe the Packers jump up and get him from one of those later picks. That would be cool, too. So uh, definitely it's all about value for me. If you can't tell, I'm a business owner. So I'm always yep. crunching, crunching, you know, pennies together to uh, to make uh, business sense. So good stuff, man. On to the next one. We got Darian Beavers. Tell me about Darian. Yep. Linebacker out of Cincinnati. Again, a very big, large man. He's 6'4", 255. He's got an RAS of 9.74. Again, he's a senior. He's 22.7 years of age. Ran the 40 and 4'7". So he's not, you know, the fastest guy, but for being 255 and 6'4", that's still pretty fast. Uh, they're basically saying he's one of the true Sam strong side linebackers. Um, he's made to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with tight ends, take on lead blockers. Again, he has shown progress each of his three years, which is what I like. In 2019, at a 56.7 grade, not great. 2020, 72.3, and then 2021, 
77.7 on almost 900 snaps. Um, he had a pass rush grade of 86.1, the run defense grade of 73.7, and the coverage grade of 68.0, which isn't great, but for, again, a guy that size, that's pretty decent. Um, some of the uh, pros on him, he's got, a, again, a massive frame. He's got excellent length. He plays at full speed most of the time, I mean, basically all the time with an active motor that doesn't ever stop, kind of like Rashawn. Um, he's a patient guy. He's got high football IQ. He's a solid tackler. Um, they say that he can basically play all three linebacker spots if you need him to. He can play in a 3-4. He can play in a 4-3. Um, some of the knocks on him, he doesn't have the elite speed and agility to cover the faster tight ends. You know, like Ryan was talking about, those Kittles and Kelseys and everybody that seems to rip us up every time we play them. But um, he's a real smart player with a great attitude. He's got a high floor but may have a limited ceiling. And again, I know Ryan's talked about, but he's like, just give me a guy with a high floor. So we yeah, know where we're at and we can build off that. So that's kind of a guy that uh, I think would be a good, good late round pick. He's kind of projected, I believe somewhere around the fourth round. Yeah. And the consensus big board has him at number one Oh six. He peaked at 93. I actually have beavers on my horizontal board at number 75. So uh, quite a bit higher. It's funny, man. We haven't really discussed these players. You gave me a list of names, and we we try not to go in with this, you know, this this game plan of all right. We're really going to talk good about this guy or talk bad about this guy. And it's funny that every one of these, um, according to the consensus big board, my horizontal board actually has them rated higher. So we're kind of on the same page with the uh, with you know. I don't look at the film much and go okay. Um, man, I really think this guy's a talent. That's just not my role. I don't feel comfortable doing that. What I do mm -hmm. is punch the numbers of the so-called experts and take into consideration people like Greg Cosell uh, that I really think highly of and trust his opinion. And I really put a lot of stock into PFF because it, lo and behold, when you look at the PFF grades and how they translate to the NFL level, it seems like those players tend to perform a little bit a little bit better. So, uh, yeah, I've got, like I said, I've got Beaver sitting at the uh, number 75 spot on the horizontal board which is quite a bit higher than than number 106 on the consensus big board. And man, Cincinnati and Georgia are the two teams that are jumping off the uh, the board to me. Do you agree that th those two teams seem to have these players that are really, really intrigued intriguing this year? Yeah, I mean, uh, Ryan mentioned, you know, Cincinnati always seems to have some really great guys, even if you can get them in the later rounds. I think that that's a great, great school. I mean, they play elite competition. I, mean, I shouldn't say elite, but good enough, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. For sure. So awesome, dude. So moving on, the next is Jojo Doman. Um, they've got him on the consensus big board at number 119. He peaked at 85. What what catches your attention with uh, with Doman? Yeah, so this is a guy kind of like Troy Anderson that I just watched, and I was like, wow, this it's just a human highlight reel. Everything about him. He's 6'1", 228. He's got an RAS of 7.52. So they, I swear that RAS score is... You watch him on tape and you, you wouldn't think that he's a senior he's 24.8 years old so he is one of the older guys uh he ran the 40 and 462 again i don't believe that you watch him on tape and the guy just zooms across the field um i know even earlier today i listened to the, the ryan's podcast and he was talking about how you know uh the notre dame safety who am i thinking of is it kyle uh, uh hamilton Hamilton, how he, you know, he ran the four seven. I don't believe that you watch him on tape. He's zooming across the field. That's kind of the same this guy. And, um, you know, they say he's a six foot one, 230 pound linebacker, but basically he played slot corner, um, that whole last year, he under 87.8 coverage grade, 
Um, but the thing about this dude is he reminds me, and I know people are going to roll their eyes, but he reminds me, watch the tape of Charles Woodson when he kind of switched to that safety roaming kind of linebacker hybrid role where he would come up to, on the line of scrimmage off the edge. They'd sometimes blitz him through the middle off of a delayed blitz. He'd drop back in coverage. This dude is everywhere. I mean, any he does not bite on read options. It was incredible watching him. He, I couldn't believe how fast twitch this dude was at, at breaking up that kind of stuff. Nothing around the edge gets him. He's really great at avoiding blocks to take down screens. Um, and again, he made the progression 2019. He goes from a 69.7 to 2020 is a 78.9 2021 87.3 overall grade. Um, and again, the, the funny thing about this dude, 2021 D line, he lined up 129 snaps. Then he lines up in the slot at 428 snaps. He lined up at corner three times. He was in the box 66 times. So, I mean, he's everywhere. He's just everywhere. And it seems like, again, like how Woodson, I don't know if you remember, but when Woodson used to tackle people, he wouldn't just tackle them. He'd come in and he'd slap and he'd rip. And he'd. this is the same thing this guy does. When he comes in to make a tackle, he's making a form tackle, but at the same time, somehow he's just ripping balls out and slapping balls and he's batting balls down. And it's uh, it's interesting. And then I remember we talked last week about uh, some of the trends. He's one of the only guys on my list that actually consistently gets mocked to the Packers. 12% of all mocks, he goes to the Packers. That's second only to the Lions at 13%. Um, so wow. I don't really know where he would fit. You know, he's kind of an undersized guy. I, I don't know if Joe Barry has any sort of like role, kind of like they talk about that star player, you know, that can kind of go around. He, I think he'd be a perfect quarterback spy if we were playing against, you know, Russian quarterbacks or if we had, you know, halfbacks that leak out you know and, and do wheel routes he's just that kind of guy that can sit and wait and watch and he he closes really fast as soon as he wants to rush the quarterback he gets there so i like this guy a lot yeah it sounds you know as you're describing the traits to me the thing that pops in my mind is just football player you know yeah. it might not necessarily have a certain position um he can play multiple roles i think that goes a long way man especially when you don't know what's going to happen on the injury front um, you know, year in and year out. Like I said, the consensus big board has him sitting at 119. He peaked at 85. On my horizontal board, I have him sitting at 84. So once again, um, closer to the peak number rather than where they currently are. And one of the reasons for that, guys, is because the way I do my draft board, once the combine and the pro dates are finished, I try to get my information in as quick as possible. You know, everybody was talking in the chat last week, and you remember this, Jacob, how a lot of a lot of the big boards shifted here lately, right? It's just kind of mm -hmm. gotten flipped upside down. And mine didn't. Mine, mine was already set. And the reason being is because there's so much false information going out from front offices at this point. You've got all these leaked sources, this and that. And then the so-called experts in the media, they buy into everything that's leaked and everything gets switched around. One thing I like to do is go back. I like to make a list every year of kind of what the consensus big board is um, at the end of the college football season and then go back pre-draft and kind of look how things have changed. And it's amazing how much they changed. And lo and behold, you look up and some of those early numbers, the majority of those early numbers actually match what they do at the next level than the later ones because everybody just gets bored. I mean, we're yeah. as guilty as anybody, right? You get to this time of year and you're ready for the draft. You're just looking for something to talk about and you end up talking yourself into information that might not necessarily be, you know, accurate. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like, you know, like I said, I like him as well, man, sitting at 84, closer to his peak spot on the consensus. Um, yeah, that, that's going to be very interesting to see where he goes. I think he's definitely going to be drafted. But as far as where the Packers sit 
on draft picks, right? I'm going to try to go back to the chat here and not be too confusing, but I wanted to see where you thought um, the Packers may take a linebacker. And, and then we'll, we'll let you go here. You know, with the, with the way their picks sit, we're obviously not going to take one in the first round. Um, with the second round, you've got picks 53, 59. And the third round, you've got pick 92. You've got two fourth-round picks, a fifth and three-sevenths. If you had to guess, right, and you had to put money on the table and go, I'm betting they're going to take a linebacker. If they do take one this year, it's going to be around this range. When do you think that would be? Would it be with one of the two seconds? the third or the two fourths where do you think that would land if i had to really put money on it i would probably say that third or one of the fourths just because yeah. i don't know that just seems like a a good thing to do um <laughs> you know sit and wait and not jump on any of the I, I feel like a lot of these linebackers that have more flashier names and titles and that kind of thing bigger schools they might go a little earlier, um, like Asamoa, you know, maybe some guys like that, Muma, maybe even before them. And I think that if guys like, I, I, again, I don't know what Jojo, what his role would be, but a guy like Troy Anderson, again, I love him. Darian Beavers, I would love to have that guy. And if we could get him in the third or the fourth, I think that's great value. Yeah, I completely agree. And the way my horizontal board sits, I've got the top linebacker being Lloyd sitting in tier two. I've got Dean sitting in tier three. Then you got to jump down to tier five to get to Christian Harris. And tier six is Muma and Chanel. So I kind of feel I'm not a Christian Harris fan, by the way. I just have to go on record. I know Ryan loves him, but I'm going to put my my flag saying I do not like him. <laughs> I'm, I completely agree. I, I hear some people saying he's a first round pick and I'm going, I just don't see it. I've got him sitting at number 46 and he's borderline tier six. So he's at the bottom of tier five for me. I think if somebody does take him in the second round, I think it might be good value. But these people that are saying he's going in the first round, he, he may go in the first round. I'm no expert, but according to the data, I'm just going, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't see it. Um, but what I was going to say is when you get into tier five, they're all clustered now. I mean, you literally have a run between, between tier five and tier seven. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six inside linebackers as opposed to only two above that in the top five tiers. So I think there is going to be a run on them somewhere there between the second and fourth round. And when they start coming off, they're going to fly off the board quick. So it's going to be exciting. I agree with you, though. I think I would feel most comfortable there in the fourth round unless one of these top tier guys um, there, like I said, in, in tier six drop. Um, I would say use your use one of your fourth round picks on a linebacker, but it all depends on how the board falls. Are they going to trade up or down? Um, it's going to be exciting, dude. You getting jacked for the draft, man? Oh yeah. I mean, like I said, I was messaging you last night at damn near midnight. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's going to be good, dude. But uh, dude, all good information as always, man. Love having you on the show. Appreciate your time, and uh, we're going to do it again soon. All right, that's the show, guys. Thanks for tuning in. As always, let's be the change we want to see in the world, and go Pack Go!